Jump shot. It's good. Zach Randolph does it again. Three-point game. They've got to go for three now. No choice. Conley for three. Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Grizzlies show. As always, Joe Monix joins us every single week on this show to talk Grizzlies, and it's a great week. It's a great week to do it. They have been absolutely playing like crazy. But before we get to that, make sure you go subscribe to the show, whatever podcast platform you're using. If you're an Apple iTunes, make sure you go leave a review. It really helps the show. I'd appreciate that. As would Joe, because he comes on the show. Every single week, Joe. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much. Just you know, trying to to sober up after John Morant got me wasted, drunk, and high, and all those different things off of his basketball game. I I said on the Gary Paris show that I do the weekly hit on ninety two nine FM. Why, you get intoxicated watching that kid play basketball. Like it, it's oh, it's crazy. It's as close to getting drunk, like a fun kind of drunk, not angry drunk or sad drunk. It, it's as close as you can get to a happy, fun drunk as you can get without actually drinking anything, at least in my experience watching yeah. sports. And I mean that as a 100%. Concept. Like he yeah. truly is a joy to watch. Joy to watch. It, it, I think, I think on, I, I already, I, on my show today, I think I said, John Rant's fun to watch about 1800 times. Like it, it really just, it, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't sleep last night. I was so hyped up uh, that, that behind the pack, uh, or excuse me, that like little behind the back dribble, plus that toss to Jaren for that just vicious slam. I like dropped my phone and it kicked across the room and was running around and almost ran over one of my kids again, totally worth it. But the, the kid is just impressive to watch. I mean, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me what he's able to do on the court. And I'd say his best game all year. What, what about, I mean, that, do you think agree to that? Like that's his best game all year. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think the, great thing about the way that it all went down it was on a national stage now nba tv maybe yep. doesn't count as a full national stage but it is something that is a national game uh i think that it's really cool to see him and i wrote about it for the blog uh called the audacity of john morant um the the fact that he embraces the challenge of going against somebody like james harden who people like to hate on james harden he's arguably the the best offensive player in the National Basketball Association. And I, I'm leaning towards it not really being much of an argument, to be honest with you. He's pretty special in terms of when he is uh, cooking at, at full tilt, what he's capable right. of doing. And he was not able to do that last or against the Grizzlies the last time these teams matched up Tuesday night because, in large part, of what John Morant was doing at the Anthony Melton had a hand in that. Dylan Brooks defended him a little bit. But I do believe the fact that Ja Morant went after him when, when Harden was defending Ja, you know, it was Morant taking him to the basket. It was Morant, Morant yeah. shooting step back threes. It was Morant talking trash. You know, there's Ja was not intimidated of this former MVP. MVP. 
he was not shying away from the moment. He embraced it. And I think that that is what, even more so than the highlight plays, because there's been all sorts of basketball players that have made highlight plays if we're all being honest with each other. You know, that, that, that to me, it's impressive, but at the same time, what really impresses me is his mentality. And I think that that's what's going to make him a star, not just in the league, but also in Memphis in particular, and really kind of drive home this next generation of Grizzlies basketball because he fits Memphis in a different way than the previous era did, but it's still very Memphis. The swagger that he carries himself with, the the way that he plays stylistically, it's a very Memphis Southern style of basketball, and he carries through with that with the way that he, like I said, attacks a player, the caliber of James Harden. He wasn't afraid, and I think that that, more than anything else, for a 20-year-old rookie, even though he was the number two pick in the draft and all those things, you know, a couple of years ago, he was not the best player, you could argue, on a team in the Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference, you know, with Murray State. And right. now he's here out, out gunning James Harden and outplaying James Harden. The, the rise of John Morant really has been impressive. And I think that's my favorite part about it. Like I said, even more than the highlight passes and dunks is his capacity to rise up to the moment when his teammates need him most. And I think that's really what's going to help him stick in terms of being a special player. Yeah, for sure. You got, and you mentioned that you wrote a, a piece over at grizzlybearblues.com. It's a great piece. It's called the audacity of John Rant, just kind of about what we're talking about. So if you haven't read it, this is kind of our conversation. So go read it. But yes, I am 100% here for John Rant trying to clown every single Rockets player last night. Like he had it out for anybody and everybody that was willing to willing to take him on. That that is was is my favorite part too. The killer mentality of John Rand is what will make him a superstar. That's what makes there's a lot of players in this league that are talented, that are superior talented to a lot of other players, like Jaron Jackson. I mean, you you don't have to look any further than his teammate who I'd argue probably doesn't have that same mentality sometimes, even though he should. I think it's coming out more playing with Ja, but I think Jaren's more of a two, you know, he's more of a Robin than he is Batman, but there are times when he really just kind of falls into the background and, and Ja and on center stage, he never does that. He's always looking to embarrass you. He's always looking to take on the next challenge. And that, like you mentioned, it's what separates him, is what will make him a superstar, is my favorite part to watch. Your, I'm sure it's everybody's favorite part to watch, is going right at the formal in, former MVP and just taking it to him, like hitting him with a step back and just it's a dose of his own medicine, uh, you know, yelling about, tell that MFR about me. Like all these things are super hilarious and super fun to watch. Uh, I will say, well, the one thing that was in your article I thought was interesting, you included the tweet uh, from Chris Palmer. Um, yeah. And that was really – I don't know if anybody didn't see it, but uh, Chris Palmer covers NBA. He says he loves John Rand, but you can't disrespect an MVP like that. When you played 34 games, I won't accept it. You treat true, you treat future Hall of Famers with respect. Um, I think that my reply to that was, okay, boomer. But, you know, it is a, it is a real, like – it's real smack in the face. You know what I mean? When you get someone like this come on the league and, and a rookie playing like this, it is a very much for the older generation, like, uh, I can't believe this is happening type of thing. Yeah, I guess it's not really that it's not that big of a deal to me. And, you know, I've come on the show a while now and I've said a lot of things on Grizzlies Twitter and on the blog that people disagree with. And maybe I'm a little bit okay, boomer myself in some ways. But this isn't one of those things. I mean, 
if you've played sports at any level, you know, it could be peewee, it could be high school, college, obviously the pros are who we're talking about here. There's a competitive banter that goes into that. There's a competitive nature. And, and whether it's a physicality thing, whether it's with words, that kind of stuff happens. And, and I don't necessarily think that the decorum that he is illustrating here is not necessary. Excuse me, is necessary. I, I don't really see what Jaw did wrong in terms of, I mean, you could watch games with Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley. You know, you could go back all sorts of decades, and we talk about the OK Boomer joke. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was worse in the 80s and 90s, the things they were saying <laughs> to each other than, than what Jaw said to James Harden. I, I don't think it's about Jaw blatantly disrespecting James Harden as much as it is Jaw being very good at the chip on the shoulder bit, right? Like he is very much a guy who remembers where he came from in terms of not being highly recruited out of South Carolina, having right. to go to Murray State. Because no disrespect to Murray State, kids aren't growing up wanting to go to Murray State. You know what I mean? Gary Parrish said exactly. that on the radio on Wednesday uh, when I was talking with him. Uh, and he's exactly right. So throughout his life, he has felt slighted. And for the first time, you know, I mean, SB Nation NBA, you used to work with us over at GBB, uh, they did two Grizzlies pieces today in one day. Like, that's never yeah. happened before. SB Nation NBA, two national writers. Well, writing about the, Grizzlies, the, about the amount of content, the amount of content that just came out of that game, period. I mean, I think I right. saw five or I mean, there, Tim and Mann wrote a piece. The Ringer wrote a piece. Uh, the Athletic National guys wrote. I mean, there was like five or six national pieces on John Morant, which is insane. Right. So I think that the attention that Ja brings with his tenacity in terms of the way he plays the game, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. It's just going to. And I think that Ja, and I say this in my article, uh, I think that Ja is going to be one of those guys that you hate him when he's not on your team. But if he was on your team, you'd be ecstatic. And again, that fits the Memphis mentality really well. So I'm excited for him as he finds himself in the spotlight for the first time, you know, obviously his, his last year at Murray state, he was pretty successful, but that was still a smaller scale compared to the NBA stage. Uh, If he does the slam dunk contest at the all-star game, you know, that's going to kind of be the pinnacle of his young life in terms of attention uh, generated by the gifts that he's been given playing the game of basketball. And I don't see what makes him great is part of what's going to make people not like him in terms yeah. of the way that he handled the Harden situation. He feels slighted every time that he hears somebody say he can't do something. And that's part of what makes you great. It's not just basketball or sports. It's, it's anything in life to separate the good people from the great people in terms of what they do. A lot of times you got to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. And, and sometimes you produce tension in your mind that isn't necessarily there but it helps drive you. And I think that's a lot of what's going on with Morant in that particular case. I, for one, hope he continues to feel slighted for the rest of his career. That's just me <laughs> for my own entertainment purposes. Hope he, he never gets over that hump and has this, has this, just something on his shoulder, always just nagging him. Cause that's great for me personally, uh, for him, probably not so much mentally, but uh, hopefully he deals with that, you know, uh, but yes, you, you, you're right in a sense that there's always that driving attitude and, and you're right. I mean, it's it's something that will continue to make him stand out against everybody else uh, on a night where, again, I don't like Harden playing. I don't like to watch him play. I don't think I don't think just the way he plays is fun. But I understand he is an elite scorer and probably one of the best in the league, maybe ever. Like I get that. 
I just don't like the way he plays. But on a night where going up against someone like that just takes it right to him and has no problem with it. I love it. I thought it was fantastic. It's great for this franchise. It's great for the Grizzlies. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. We'll pick up where we left off with Joe Monix. Welcome back to the show. Talk with Joel Monix from grizzlybearblues.com like we do every single week on this show. Uh, make sure you guys go read his stuff over at grizzlybearblues.com as well as everybody else's great stuff over there as always. Um, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions in this segment. And I want to start with, I, I was listening to the Locked On NBA show, our national show. If you guys don't listen to that, make sure you go check it out because it's a lot of fun. It's uh, two different hosts from local shows throughout the week. But uh, they had... Um, Jake from the Locked On Pelicans on today, and they were talking about John ja Morant in the All Star game. What do you think about John? Ja, I mean, should John ja Morant be represented in the All Star game? And and his his argument wasn't for the sake of really play. Uh, I mean, he's good, don't get me wrong, but his his argument was for the sake of if you want to turn the ratings around, put people on the court that guys really like to watch. And clearly, people love to watch John ja Morant play basketball. This might be an okay boomer moment for me. I don't think Jaw has played well enough to warrant being in the all-star game. And you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit, and others have as well. One of the ways that I've set Twitter ablaze this year uh, is my take on Mike Conley uh, and John Morant. Saying that John Morant right now is better than Mike Conley ever was, I still stand by that, although he is making it harder to have that opinion. Uh, it's still it's still my take. Um, Jaw is not to that caliber yet i don't think that you can have a 10 15 whatever it is game stretch you know I, i'm doing uh, our mid-season grades over at grizzly bear blues taking a break to talk to you and you know the first 21 games of the season th this was a 6 and 15 basketball team so right. i think it's important yeah. to understand that this is a relatively recent development the last month and a half the grizzlies being as good as they are so I think there's guys that are more deserving than John Morant to be on the all-star team itself. Now, you, you want to talk to me about all-star Saturday night in the slam dunk contest? Sign me up. And I think that is where the compromise might be. If they don't have John Morant, and obviously Jaw could say no, it sounds like he's already been invited. John Morant in the slam dunk contest could be a launching point for him. It could be his opportunity on the national stage to say, I am here. I'm not going anywhere. You know, right. all of the slights that he felt throughout his life that we talked about in the previous segment, it could almost be like a release for him. I could see him getting really angry in the midst of that slam dunk contest. I think that's the it, that's his arrival moment on the national stage. And then from there, you know, going into year two, year three, I could see him on his trajectory becoming a, a perennial level all-star by the time his rookie contract expires. And, of course, that would then mean that he's better than Mike Conley ever was here in the next couple of years. I think that's realistic at this point. Um, I don't think it would be fair, just for the sake of ratings, to, to shun somebody like a Rudy Gobert or, a, you know, Montes Sabonis, because obviously it's uh, East and West now, um, you know, uh, CJ McCollum. There's all sorts of guys that have had a lot of success that are kind of fringe players at the bottom of the Western Conference uh, voting lists and, and you know, obviously the coaches have a hand in choosing from there. I don't see Ja as an all-star in his rookie campaign, but I do think he should be one of the main events of all-star Saturday night as kind of his, I'm here uh, and I'm not going anywhere. I plan on being at these things for a long time to come. 
and I'll be playing on Sunday more than Saturday. You heard her first. Uh, Joe Mullenix hates Ja Morant, puppies, and fun. Uh, all those the past three weeks on this show, Locked on Grizzlies is breaking news. Uh, no, I, I get it. I totally understand it. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think the NBA is gonna actually, you know, be like, oh yeah, we need to put him in just for ratings. Although personally, I would obviously love it. Um, but oh, and one again, more thing, I'm sorry, I, I left out. I do think that something the Grizzlies fans can take solace in, and I believe it's the Friday night event. They should have three guys in the Rising Stars Challenge. They should have Jared yeah. Jackson Jr. because sophomores can do it. They should have Brandon Clark, and they should have Jaw. Like that should be something to be really excited about having three of those guys in that game as well. Would you rather see Ja Morant in the Skills Challenge or the Dunk Contest? Dunk Contest. That's not yeah, even a me question. Too. I want to see him jump over somebody. I want to see him try to break a backboard. Uh, yeah. I I want to see him. You know. Tough landings and all, uh, j- another joke of, uh, of Twitter lore. Yeah. Uh, t- tough landings and all, I want to see him try to destroy the dunk contest. That would be my choice. Me too. I want to see him jump over like Jaron or maybe Jaron and right. Brandon, anything like that. I just, it's been so long. And I, this is leads to kind of the next question. I want to, I would just, it, I was thinking about this today and we have been uh, through Grizzlies fans and there were some jokes on Twitter that, you know, uh, I think I made over the weekend that you know people are just have been damaged by this front office previous front office. Like there are serious scars out there, me included. Like, and a lot of Grizzlies fans, you and me both included, that have been through the ringer with this franchise. And like looking up at it, like you get all that crap, all of never getting the wing beside the core of four like you really wanted, or never getting uh someone off the bench that you really anything any of those things we've all talked about and you look up and you start to think about it and you go oh wow like you could have you know DeAnthony, clark jaron ja next six seven years easily because of restricted free agency not to mention what they do with dylan or any other things like this core could be good for a long time and it you you, you kind of start to get excited the the question is it was worth it, right? Like to go through all that to get this, it was a hundred percent worth it. Sure. And I do think, and this is something that again, I, I get skewered for, uh, we forget pretty quickly, you know, like I've pointed out with you and elsewhere, the, the, the Zebo game, the, the Clippers clinching game where Zebo skipping off the court after being ejected, they're eliminating the Clippers at the peak of that rivalry. Maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but that to me was a lot more fun than what we're seeing right now because these are regular season games. Like that was a postseason game where you're eliminating a hated rival and it's the peak of the powers of an era that you really enjoyed. So for me, I enjoyed that more than what I'm seeing now. So it struggles. it's a struggle for me to relate to people that say, oh, this is the most fun I've ever had as a Grizzlies fan. I just don't agree with that because it's not postseason basketball. So that's that's my uh, maybe my burden uh, to carry. That doesn't mean that this isn't a lot of fun because of course it is, and I'm enjoying watching it. But I, I guess for me, looking at you know saying that they're good, like I said, they're six and fifteen just a month and a half or so ago. So they're good in the last twenty games. I, I need more of a sample size. I need to see it continue. And the good right. news is it should continue, uh, at least in terms of them playing well. It may not you know be the current offensive pace. Uh, offensive pace, I think mutual friend of ours, uh, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast, t- 
tweeted out that the Grizzlies' offense right now is at a better pace than the peak of the Golden State Warriors dynasty. Right, and that's, so that's not, probably that not sustainable. Yeah, that's probably not sustainable. So they're going to cool off at some point. They're going to have some bad losses, and and I think that's something that needs to be understood and accepted. And I think for the most part it will be. But my overall point is it's okay to have hope and be excited. And I am excited for the future of the franchise. I do think they're in a much better place than they were two years ago, even at the end of the 2017 playoffs when they lost in the first round. And you could kind of see that, you know, Zach and Tony probably weren't coming back and that sort of stuff. You know, even then, and we thought that Mark and Mike could get them in the playoffs. They're in a better place now than they were then because of cap space, because of the assets they've acquired. The franchise is healthier. I'm not denying that. I just, as I've said all along, and I'm pretty stubborn and consistent, I want to continue to keep expectations manageable so that they have the opportunity when they do win an NBA championship in you know three, four, five years, whatever it might be, it, it was done properly. Nothing was rushed. There wasn't a, a push. Like, I, people make fun of me, but I've already started seeing it. You know, people talking about trading Jay Crowder. Is it worth messing with the chemistry? Yes, it is worth messing with the chemistry of an eight-seed basketball team that has a losing record if you're able to get a first-round pick or something like that. Uh, I just want to continue to, at least on my end, reiterate this is fun. If they make the playoffs, that's tremendous. They're already well ahead of schedule. Don't allow the current circumstance to change the perspective of this process that they find themselves in. Yeah. I, I think I meant that is in term, not in, not in terms of fun. I meant in terms of potential um, of what oh, this, kind of this group can do, because I'm with you. Like, you know, you can say this is the most fun I ever had, but you know, you can also say, I had fun then I have fun. Now they don't have to be right. competing. You, I mean, that's how Agreed. I feel like, you know, that's you don't have to, point. yeah, like that's, that's me. Like I had so much fun and again, I have a, I have a 10 foot Zebo picture in my office. So like I had so much fun watching Zebo play and that'll never go away. And this is just a different fun. It's just a different area. Right. So I, I, I meant that in terms of, and I probably phrase it wrong, but I meant that in terms of potential okay. of what you're able to accomplish over the next four or five years. And that includes the change of the front office, like so much change for this, from this uh for this Grizzlies team in, in two months. Like you look at that summer and they they changed front changed front offices. They hired Taylor Jenkins, who nobody knew who he was, and you somehow look out and get John Morant. And literally everything changed for this front office. You get all those trades that you turn all those assets into just tons of assets. I mean it's it's insane how well it's gone. I keep waiting for something bad to happen. And I'm sure like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm telling you, like, people sure. are scarred. Like, you keep thinking, like, okay, well, they're going to, you know, and there's no reason to think that because they've all they've done is great things. I mean, they'll make, I'm sure they'll make a mistake and they'll make trades we probably would do differently, but so far, so good. But yeah, in terms of potential, though, they got, you know, it's just, it's fun to kind of think about what they, what they could do for sure. And the, and the potential of them is higher than the peak of grit and grind. So I think it's good yeah. to have that clarity too. Like, the, the peak of that movement, you know, you were dealing with veterans, guys that were either at the peak of their powers or were, you know, tailing off towards the end. We've talked about this before, even when everybody was super mad at me. Uh, the fact that we're even having the conversations that John Morant could theoretically be better than Mike Conley ever was 
is a testament to how good John Morant is. Like, if he yeah. continues on his current trajectory, he's going to absolutely be better than Conley ever was. You know, same thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Mark Gasol. You know, there's a, there's a legitimate question to ask. Is the Grizzlies' core, and if you include DeAnthony Melton in that now, along with Brandon Clark, of course, Jaron and Ja, is that the best young core in the NBA? I think there's a real argument you can make for that. Obviously, Luca and Porzingis in Dallas might have something to say about that. And, of course, Atlanta has some young talent. The Kings have some young talent, Fox and Bagley in particular. But in terms of those, especially those three, Jaron, Ja, and Brandon, I mean, yeah. you can make a real argument that that's the best young three players on a team in the entire association. And you could never have said that about the Grizzlies at any point. So I think in terms of potential, you're exactly right. And that's a good distinction to make. This group uh, has shown a lot of potential in the fact that they still have a lot of room to improve should make Grizzlies fans even more excited about what the future holds. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's never, it, it's never been more fun uh, in terms of potential and just what they could do in the long term, and that's not to mention, like you like you said in the previous answer, the cap space they could do in the. I mean, there's just there's so many ways they can go about it, and I I'm personally excited. I know, I know you're excited as well. I know you come come across as as uh, uh Mr. Unfun usually on Twitter, but I promise people <laughs> that is not Joe. He's excited. He just he's got to realize it. It's it's kind of come over. It's come on over to the seven. We're gonna get the seven C playoffs finals or bus side. Um, once I get him on the show long enough, it'll happen. Look, you need to tell Parker. Uh, I think Parker would do a good job at this. Tell Parker to do a, a story on the best young core uh, in this in the association and have like four teams: Mavericks, Pelicans, yeah. Hawks. Tell him to do that. It'd be good. I want to Pelicans read it. too. Pelicans, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good idea, and and I do think that it's kind of cool that you know Atlanta, New Orleans, and Memphis, three Southern teams. Yeah. You know, you could very in Dallas too. Obviously, Dallas and Texas. So, a, a lot of potential in the South uh, with NBA franchises, which is pretty neat. Uh, you just need to be nice to Parker and Nate. I know they, <laughs> I know they can frustrate you at times, but you oh, guys just kids. need to play nicely. Kids, uh, let's take one more quick break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Talk with Joe Molinex, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, like we do every single week. Uh, last segment, I want to kind of get your opinion on something I talked about on my show today. I did a whole segment about it, about the kind of the conundrum of Dylan Brooks. And before I ask you, I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea of what I said on my show. It is a simple sense that, uh, you know, as frustrating as Dylan Brooks has been, he's had a sneaky good season and he has been, you know, shooting a lot, probably more than some people are like or happy with, but, uh, he's making a lot too. Like he, he's a guy that can get buckets. He's a guy that can make plays. And in this league, that is a commodity that is, um, that is tough to find. I mean, that Grizzlies fans know it all too well. They'd be looking for that kind of person or a shooter, I guess you will, a true shooter for, you know, 10, 12 years. I think, I don't know. It's been a long time since the Grizzlies have had one and it's just, it's just hard to find in this league. And so, I guess my question to you is, is what, you know, what do the Grizzlies do? I mean, I, th- I, I honestly think I've seen a lot of people say mid-level exception. I think it's going to get more like 12 to 15 at the end of this year. And A, I don't know what it is the Grizzlies are willing to pay. And do they, do, I mean, it's, he's a guy that if you get 15, do you think you got to bring him back? Cause I, I would sure think it's, he was going to want a three or four year, you know, type of deal. I mean, they have money. It's not like that's going to strap them, but, um, is he a guy you want to spend that kind of money on? 
12 million would be my ceiling. I think I wrote an article recently where I said uh, 12 million around there, 13, because if you say 12, you know, you could fluctuate maybe a million. Right. 15 is too much. I, I don't think I would do that. That's essentially a Jonas Valanciunas deal. Dylan Brooks isn't as good as Jonas Valanciunas, at least not in my opinion. Uh, I, I would. I would go three years, thirty-six million with, with thirty-nine million. Again, thirteen million, maybe being my ceiling. And in terms of, you're exactly right. I think they have something like fifty-seven million dollars in cap space going yeah. into this summer. Uh, they're not going to use that on a max free agent. They're not maxing out Demar Derozan. You know what I mean? Like that's not going to happen. So they're going to be able to have some space to play with to bring back a Melton, to bring back a Brooks. But I do think there's going to be a limit to what they spend. We talked about the front office and the hope that that brings, the way that Zach Kleiman and uh, Jason Wexler have done business since they've taken over. Uh, They're not going to overpay somebody. At least I don't think so. But there's a difference between overpaying Dylan Brooks, you know, four-year contract that's ascending in value because of the cap space that they're going to have and because of the fact they don't have to worry about maxing out Jaron for another two years – they could front load, and they've already done this with a couple of the contracts they've signed, Tyus Jones and Valanciunas himself. They could front load a Dylan Brooks deal to where it descends in value, and they pay him $15 million that first year of the contract, but then it goes down you know, to $14 million, whatever the percentage is that the CBA says it has to be. It can't descend a certain amount. Uh, but you go down as much as that is, you pay him in the first two years of the deal, and then by year three – you're in a place where you can max Jaron comfortably. You're still comfortably under the luxury tax as those things become issues in 2022, 2023. You know, you start thinking about the next John Morant max and whatever Brandon Clark earns. You know, those are things that are, in, that are involved in long-term planning for a franchise. I think that Dylan Brooks has earned a deal similar to what you referenced. I don't think it's crazy to see him getting something around $12 million. If somebody throws $15 million at him, I think you got to say goodbye because that then could limit what – and it's, like I said, ascending value. Like if $15 million is the starting point, then by the end of the contract, right. he's making 17 or $18 million. I yeah. just don't see that value in a guy who ideally would be a reserve for you. You know, like I, I kind of see Dylan Brooks as a J.J. Redick type at this point where he would be, you know, 20, 24 minutes three-point shooter off the bench. Now, again, Dylan may not be comfortable with that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the other thing. That's, that's the other thing that I said is, is, is Dylan going to be willing to come off the bench? You also have to, is he, is he going to all of a sudden be like, you know what, if they bring in someone like a Malik Beasley or someone, you know, whomever they bring in that they think is a better wing and they want him to start is Dylan the kind of guy that's going to be like, I will be okay with making 13 off the bench. I don't know, man. No, that's a good question. I think that's a fair, a fair question to ask. And that's going to be part of that whole process. I I would start at a front loaded thirty six million dollars and you know say it's fourteen thirteen twelve or whatever like I said whatever that percentage would be to get to a thirty six million dollar offer right I think that's what I'd be comfortable doing because as you alluded to and you're exactly right I've written about it myself money doesn't matter these next two years like as long as they're able to maintain the jaw Jaron and you can add Brandon Clark to that for sure maybe Melton. But Dylan, I mean, to me, if you're adding Melton to that conversation, I think Melton is a better fit for what Memphis is going to be long term. But I do think that Dylan Brooks should be in that conversation, too, if if Melton's going to be. So maybe if you look at those two combined as a not a max player, but, 
you know, if you would pay, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but if there's a wing out there that you would pay 20 to $25 million to, right? And it's not quite a max deal, but it's obviously more money, like a Gallinari, I guess. He's not a, a shooting guard or small forward, but that type of contract, I think Gallinari makes like $21 million or something like that. If you combine that money between Melton and Brooks, I would be comfortable with that. So say you're giving $12 million to Dylan and $9 million to Melton. You know, Melton makes more sense for the mid-level exception kind of money for what he brings to the table as a reserve and that sort of stuff, like a Tyus Jones kind of deal. Uh, right. Between those two, if that's what you're spending, I, I would be comfortable doing that type of contract with Dylan. But if you go too much beyond that, I don't think – you don't want to limit, you know, whether it's acquiring future first-round picks because people are trying to offload contracts like the Warriors did with uh, Iguodala. You want to maintain that flexibility if your plan is not to try to go out and get a Brandon Ingram or max out somebody else in unrestr- or in restricted free agency or overpay for a Joe Harris for two years. Again, that would negatively impact your future. But if you wanted to get more competitive on the wing with a shooter, you know, Joe Harris would make sense if you overpay him for a two-year contract. If that's not in your long-term plans and you want to stick with guys that have kind of helped you build this young core, you could do worse than Melton and Brooks for a combined 20 or 21 million. I think you're absolutely right. And I, and I said on the show, I would, I think is Brooks is a guy you, you should definitely try to keep, you know, as for all his flaws for as frustrating as he is sometime to watch and, and never pass the basketball and everything else. And I've said it on my show. I'm sure people have written about it and, and, and I get it, but at the same time, it's a commodity that is not always available in this league as having someone that can knock down shots. And so it's definitely someone you want to bring back, but you know, it's a situation where you got to kind of be careful and I'm with you. I wouldn't, I would not want to overpay for Dylan Brooks, but I, I'm afraid there's people that might say, Hey, look, we'll, we'll give you 15 and we want you to be our starting shooting guard. We don't want you to come off the bench. So, um, and Dylan's the type of guy that strikes me as, as a guy that really, he needs to start. You know, there are some guys in the league that don't need to start and they can be fine with, you know, as long as they finish the game or they, you know, they get minutes. So some guys will play 25 minutes more than some of the starters. They just won't start, but some guys just got to have the start. And Dylan seems like that kind of guy. Uh, either way, make sure you go read Joe Mullinex and his staff, all their stuff over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast or whatever podcast platform you're using. Joe, I appreciate it. Let's do it again next week. I'm looking forward to it already. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you. All right. Talk to you then.